If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Acts chapter 9, let's go there for tonight. And we are in Acts chapter, Acts part, uh, I think it's, we're in part 15. Part 15. Have you guys been enjoying this teaching? On the, uh, walking through the book of Acts, this is what we usually do on Wednesday nights. If you're not familiar with what we do on Wednesday nights, um, we usually take a book of the Bible and just walk through it verse by verse. And uh, it's, uh, we find some great, great nuggets of truth and revelation and just rich teaching. Amen. I, that, is my, that is my number one responsibility is to teach you what the Bible says, yeah. to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. So, and it's an honor to do it. Among other things that I'm responsible for, this is the one I, I put most of my time and effort into. Amen. And which I should. Amen. Uh, I, think, I think we're ready to move into it now. Uh, we're going to be bringing up a map here in just a second. But Acts chapter 9, verse 23 says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, that is Saul. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates of the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. I'm going to stop that right there for just a moment. Let's just think about this for, for just a moment. That the disciples, Look who took him and let him down uh, through the wall in a large basket. It was disciples. But if we'll go back to the very first verse of this chapter that we talked about Last week or a couple weeks ago, I want to go to verse one and two and look at this. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, verse two, and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who are of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What a turn of events, huh? From that time, these very same disciples that he was hunting down, now. Now he's depending on them for his deliverance. What an amazing grace our God has given us. This once saint stalker is now depending on these saints to protect him from those that are now stalking him. He has, the hunter has become the hunted. This is a great contrast between the law and grace, isn't it? Because the law is a yoke of bondage. Remember, that's what, that's what Saul wanted to do. He wanted to bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was bound to the law. He was sold out to the law. And so his actions mean that you bind others. Hmm. But grace, the grace of God is liberty. And then later on, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. He's not talking about sin there. Well, he is. He's talking about the sin of religion. That's what he's talking about. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage because chapter 4, he completely laid out the, you, you're either the children of the bondwoman or you're children of the free. You're the children of Hagar or you're the children of Sarah. All right? Children of promise or children of the law. And here, not, but you know, not all the disciples, not all the disciples were ready to just embrace this Saul yet. Because he, this guy had wreaked havoc. This guy had, had torn families apart. Are you understanding? 
He marched into people's homes and dragged men and women out of their homes in chains and threw them in prison, and he cast his vote to kill many of them, one of those being Stephen as he was consenting to his death, holding the coats of those who were stoning him to death. All right? So this guy is a terror to the church, and people do not have good feelings about Saul. All right? So in this this region where... um, uh, around Damascus, that is, when, when they brought him into Damascus, remember he was led in there blind after he had been blinded by the, blinded by the light um, there from, from heaven. And now he's been led by the hand into Jerusalem, or into Damascus, that is, and he's there for three days blind, remember? And, and then the Lord speaks to Ananias, and Ananias has a vision, says, go pray for this man named Saul. Of course, Ananias is like, are you kidding me? You know, you know what this guy's done, right? But... He said, go, because he's a chosen vessel of mine. And that brings us to this place. And so these guys have now begun to embrace Saul. They're, they're seeing the change. They're seeing the conversion. But now, now watch this. Let's go back to verse 26. And when the, Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join those disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. All right? They, didn't, they weren't too quick to just embrace this man who had brought great injury to their lives. I mean, can you blame them? So what happens here? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Oh, Barnabas takes him to the big shots. All right, these are the guys who walked with Jesus. The chosen, well, 11, once, once 12, and the Matthias has come in through the roll of the dice to be the 12th disciple, 12th apostle, but they were all afraid of him. Okay, I'm sorry. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Isn't this awesome? See, Barnabas knew something that if he could get Saul to the big guns, then, then that would trickle down to everyone else. He had to get to the, to the authority of the entire church and get them to accept him, and then everything else would be all right. All right? You know, there's safety and assurance in authority. Thank you for your enthusiasm. There's safety and assurance in the lines of authority. Yes, there have been those who have abused it. They have um, mistreated others. They've been unwise. But that doesn't mean that it's all bad because others have done badly with it. Are you hearing me? I mean, we preach the gospel of Christ. That's why our church is called One Cause Church. It's the cause of Christ that we are here for. It's the reason why we come here. It's the reason why we go where we go, because we have a message to proclaim. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. Whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. Isn't that an amazing message? It never gets old to me. If it ever gets old to you, if you ever get bored with hearing that Jesus died for your sins, I want you to, at that moment of boredom, go over to the book of Leviticus and start reading. All right? Just start reading Exodus and Leviticus, and you'll go, oh my God, thank you, Jesus, that you have delivered me from this law that was breaking people's necks. Nobody could bear up under the weight of it. All right? Jesus has completely satisfied the demands of the law. He fulfilled it to the nth degree. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that wonderful about the gospel? Isn't that beautiful that Jesus got blamed for you, what you did, and then you got credited for all of his obedience? Yeah. Amen. Why in the world would God do something like that for us? 
I don't know, but I sure am glad he did. So, but we preach the gospel of Christ, but hey, how many of you know that others are preaching him wrong? How many of you know that others are, are not preaching the gospel the right way? A lot of them are still preaching the law today and not preaching the gospel. Are you hearing me? So do we just quit preaching the gospel because it's being preached wrong? Do we just give up and say, well, well, it's, it's got a bad reputation now. Right? No, we get bolder with it. We get louder with it. We get stronger in it. Are you hearing me? So authority then is, is, is God's system of order. God established this, so we hold fast to his way. And just because of others have failed the system doesn't mean the system has failed. Amen. What God ordains, I love the, the great Wayne Myers used to always say this, what God ordains, he sustains. He doesn't fail. He is love, and love doesn't fail. You know, authority is a way of love. And there's no fear in love. Isn't that something? God didn't put authority in place to make us fearful, to make us trepidatious. He did it to protect us. He did it to love us. He did it to guide us and to correct us and to help us. Are you hearing me? We are believers first and foremost. You know, there's more reward than there is risk in submission to authority. Are you hearing me? There's way more reward than there is risk. It gets risky when you start to go out on your own. Hmm? Because you're connected to a body. You are the body of Christ and you are individual members of that body, which means you receive from one and you give to another. See, your life is in full flow when you are following someone and you are leading someone. All right? That's what you're designed to do. Follow and lead. Follow and lead. Amen. You don't just do one. You do both. All right? Because we are made to reproduce. God put you here because he put you here for other people that only you can be able to bring this message to. He made you so unique that he's given you a certain audience that will hear your message and that you're, they're made to hear your message. Are you hearing me? All right? It's, it's so powerful. That's why, I mean, you're absolutely vital to his purpose. But as you follow him, as you follow those in authority, then that gives you then the authority to lead. You cannot lead if you're not following. Are you hearing me? Do you remember what the, do you remember what the, um, the centurion said? He said, I know, he told Jesus, I know you're a man under authority. Therefore, just say the word, and I know that my servant will be made whole. That's all you got to do, because I'm also a man under authority. Therefore, I say to this one, go. That is, therefore, I lead others. I, I, I can give commands to others because I'm under authority. Therefore, what I say now has weight to it. Yeah. All right? Anybody in the military understands this. They, they get it, that... If you've been given a command, then you have the authority to also give that command to others, just, just like the top dog said it, if you say it in line of authority. See, that's why we have to be submitted to God so that when we speak, when we declare his word, it's just like him saying it. But if we're not submitted to him, then our words don't have weight. All right? So we submit to God. And we speak his word, and then it's just, like I said, it's just like he himself is saying it. Isn't yeah. that powerful? Amen. And so this guy said, I'm also a man in authority, therefore I tell this one, go, 
and he goes, this one come, and he comes. He goes, you just speak. To, I'm not worthy that you come into my roof. You just say the word. All right? What the, what the centurion just said was, I recognize that you're from God, so whatever you say is going to be like God saying it. So you don't even have to come to the house because your word carries all the weight to get the healing done. It's just as good as you yourself being there. Isn't that powerful? Huh? I know I am where I am today, and I am who I am today because of those that I have submitted myself to. I wouldn't be where I am in my life. I, I, my personal progress and growth and, and, and my position has happened because I've simply submitted myself to the authority of my life. It's not because I've been all that terrific, because I've surrounded myself with great men and women, and, and that they have pulled my life up. Amen. Can I get a good amen? amen? Hey, listen, it's not always easy to do that. It's downright difficult at times, especially when he's your dad. But the reward has far outweighed the risk of doing anything else. Amen. You know, I'd, rather mu- I'd much rather face the challenges of following my leaders than to take on life alone and to believe the lie that I, all I need to know I already have. Because hmm? the truth is we all will answer to the highest authority, Almighty God himself. So, you know, Bob Dylan wrote a song years and years ago. He put out a, two or three Christian albums, and he had a song called You're Going to Have to Serve Somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Right? We're created to serve. We're created to follow and we're created to lead. So Barnabas knew if the apostles would approve of Saul, then this would trickle down to all the disciples. Let's go to verse 28. You guys thought I forgot where I was, didn't you? All right. So he was, he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and out. So now they've, they've brought Paul, Saul into their fellowship, these apostles. So, so now he has some freedom to come in and out and to minister. And look at this. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Those are the, 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 the Greek Jews. But they, attempted, but they attempted to kill him. All right. Not only are the Jews down in Damascus trying to kill him, now these Hellenistic Jews are trying to kill him too. When the brethren found out, they brought him to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Let's bring up um, a map, that map, if we can find it. Oh, well, that's, okay. Well, let me just sh- show you here. This is Caesarea. It's a port city, and it, it would go all the way up here, and th- this landmass kind of comes up and then curves over like that, and Tarsus sits in a little cove back in here, and that's, that's Saul's home, hometown. It's where he's from. So they got him on a ship, and they got him out of there. And again, to, these guys are putting their own necks on the line for Saul. Think about it. They're, at, they're, they're risking their own lives uh, to help him when he was the one who was after them to kill them, to destroy them. And now he's found solace with them. You know, Saul's in a tough situation here at this point, though. He was trouble for the church no matter what he did. All right? I mean, when he was hunting them down and he's dragging them out of their homes and he's having them killed and thrown into prison... He brought much trouble. And now he's preaching the gospel of Christ with boldness wherever he goes. And now bounties are being put out on his head. And the church uh, is kind of forced into harboring a fugitive. Right? So either way, he's really troubling for the church, good or bad. But, you know, you got to give it to Saul, right? Because he stirs things up either way. I mean, Saul is all in. He's 100 miles an hour 100% of the time. 
You cannot ignore this guy. So, so finally they're like, you know, maybe you ought to just go home for a while, Saul. All right, so they get him on a boat. They get him out of there to safety and get him back to Tarsus. Now, I want you to look at the very next verse, verse 31. This cracks me up. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. All right? Because Saul is, man, he stirs stuff up. Right? So now they've got peace. <laughs> They're all edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They were multiplied. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who were, dwelt at Lydda, and that's on this map. You'll see where Lydda is right there, all right? So he, they've been down here in, in Jerusalem, but Peter apparently went on a circuit, more than likely went up to Samaria area, and it says he came down here to Lydda, all right? Just so you know kind of the, the, the general area where this is talking about. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon. Now Sharon was not necessarily a city, but Sharon is this, it was called the, the plain of Sharon, which was basically this area up into the mountains there of Tyre. But all that area was called the Plain of Sharon. So now listen to, listen to this. It says that all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon. So I mean the news starts spreading rapidly. All right? they, there was no Twitter or Facebook here. There's no way to get that news out fast. I mean it, it's being carried all throughout the Plain of Sharon, all throughout that region. Isn't that powerful? So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon the plain, uh, saw him and turned to the Lord. Whoa, whoa. They saw him. Guess what this guy's doing? He's making use of some leg time, yeah. right? <laughs> this guy got up out of bed. He got up out of bed now, and he started running all over the place and making up for eight years of being laying around in a bed. Can you imagine that? You know, that what's interesting about his name, Aeneas, it's a Greek name, and it means laudable, L-A-U-D-A-B-L-E, laudable, which means worthy of praise or deserving of praise, commendable. But at, in dictionary.com, there's a second definition to this name. It's really interesting, and it's medicine or medical obsolete, healthy, wholesome, not noxious. Isn't that interesting? His, me, his name means praiseworthy, healthy, wholesome, and he was bedridden for eight years. Can you imagine the contradiction for this guy? as people would come over to see him, right? And, and everybody knew where Aeneas was going to be. He's going to be in bed. It's not, it's not going to be hard to find him. Eight solid years. If you want to go visit him, you're going to go find him right where you knew to find him, in the bed. But now the meaning of his life becomes, uh, now the meaning of his name, I should say, becomes the meaning of his life. Think about it. Here he is experiencing what his name has been declaring all along. That God is to be praised. That there's praise to abound and that health and, and wholeness, I'm the picture of it here. And when people saw him, they turned to the Lord. So now the meaning of his name becomes the mission of his life and he begins to spread this everywhere. 
And people are turning to the Lord, looking at this man who is living in health and wholeness, who once was bedridden. He was once helpless, but now he can offer help. Hallelujah. He was once broke down, but praise God, now Aeneas is breaking out. For eight years, think about it, eight years he laid in that bed. Eight years. Eight years. You know, at that point, when all your muscles are atrophied and you're just basically skin hanging on bones, there's not much reason to hope, is there? When you're in a situation where you have just, okay, come to the conclusion that this is how it is. And you're fully dependent on others to come and feed you, change your clothes, do all the other stuff. Eight, you think about it, eight years of his life. He's laying here. I mean, wow. This, this bed was designed to support him and to bring comfort for him for a good night's rest. But now it has become a damnable prison in which he cannot escape, and it has become a nightmare from which he cannot awake. Can you imagine eight years of just laying there? It binds him. This bed binds him without chains. It holds him without comfort. It supports him, but it mocks him. This bed has become a part of his life. This bed has become part of his identity. Bed-ridden Aeneas. For eight years, his bed made him. But when Peter showed up at his house, Peter set some things straight. No longer does this bed define you, Aeneas. No longer will this bed make you. Jesus the Christ heals you. The one who restores, the one who breaks the chains. He's the one who heals you. Now get up and don't forget to make your bed. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Think about it. What it was like to rise up from that prison sentence of paralysis. Yeah. Being totally incapacitated. Rising up from that place of immobility. Hallelujah. I wonder why Peter told him to make it. I wonder why. I, I, I'm just trying to see my bed in this, right? I don't know what his bed looked like, but I'm just trying to see my bed in this. Get up, make your bed. So, you know, he's pulling the sheets up and the comforter and fluffing the pillows and put them in place. And Why is he doing that? So the next time when night falls when you've got to climb back in that bed, uh-huh. that he will, approaches that bed and he takes that arm that was once dead, paralyzed, and takes that comforter and sheet and throws it back and takes that pillow and fluffs it up real good and willingly lays down on the bed, not forced yeah. to lay down on the bed. And he lays down on the bed with this hope from now on that he's going to rise up again 
and again and again and again and again and again because this bed no longer makes him. He makes the bed. Hallelujah. All right, we got to keep reading. Verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha. We see that on the map. Can we bring that up again? My fun little color in map. Forgive me for the crudity of this. Took me just a few minutes to draw it up. Joppa's right here. Lydda's right here, so they weren't far away. So disciples, uh, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I think I'll just go with Tabitha if I'm her, right? Just, I don't know why that's translated Dorcas, but can just, Tabitha's fine. <laughs> it, means, it means gazelle. Or gazelle's fine, but Dorcas... All right, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was, not, was near Joppa and the disciples who had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. How did they hear that he was in Lydda? Somebody call them? Hmm? They heard the story, didn't they? about a man who was bedridden eight years, paralyzed, who's now running around. And you know what they're thinking? That's impossible. It's one thing for somebody to get healed from a cold, right? But a guy's been paralyzed for eight years, and now he's, he's up and at him? That means anything's possible. We have a dead woman here. Let's see what can happen. Now Watch. Then Peter arose and went with them, verse 39. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. Where did he learn that? He learned that from Jesus. That happened a few times in Jesus' ministry. People are weeping and crying. He gets them all outside. Put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Look, then he, he called the saints and widows and he presented her alive. So he didn't take her out there. They're in the room and he says, hey, come in here. I got to show you something. Right? So they open the door and he's, ta-da! <laughs> All right, Dorcas. Get your... Get your crocheting kit back out and go to work. And it happened, listen to this, then he gave her his hand, and it, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and look what happened here, and many believed on the Lord. This is wonderful, right? They're turning to the Lord from what happened in Lydda with the paralyzed man, and now these many are believing on the Lord here. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon and Tanner, and I cannot wait to get to Acts 10 next week. Hallelujah. The paralyzed and the dead... The paralyzed and the dead. The paralyzed and the dead. Both are motionless. Both are immobile. Both can do nothing for themselves. Being paralyzed is like living in a dead body. 
both paralysis and death, have this harsh cruelty about them. They're both permanent. Medical science has no cure for either one. The only way their conditions can change is by a miracle. You know what a miracle is? A miracle is a supernatural intervention in the natural course of events. A supernatural intervention in the natural course of events. You know, some of you here tonight very well could be facing paralysis in some area of your life. Maybe your marriage feels like you're being buried alive. Or your finances have crippled your ability to enjoy your money. And now you, the master, have become the servant or even worse, a slave to money. It's paralyzed you. You're in a paralyzed position financially. Your health continues to be a negative factor for you. You're bound to medications, anxious thoughts, and nagging pain. Some of you here tonight are even facing death on some level. You lost your marriage, maybe. You lost a very meaningful relationship. You lost a loved one. You lost your job. You lost your hope. Hmm? And that death has stolen time from you. Sleep. Stolen your peace and your joy right out of your life. We read these stories from the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen, not so that we can say we heard a good Bible story about miracles. We're not here for story time tonight. We believe that if we will believe, we will also see supernatural interventions in the natural courses of our lives. Can I get a really good amen there? Because I want to remind you of something tonight, that God is absolutely no respecter of persons. If you are a person, any persons here? Raise your hand if you're a person. Okay, good. Most of you know that anyway. Then God loves you. And what he will do for anyone, he'll do for you. Because he's no respecter of persons. So if we know that he, he has miracle power for making dead things live and paralyzed things mobile again, then he can help our situation. Yeah. Amen. Huh? That he can be that very present help in time of need, and he is. And he is a miracle-working God. Yeah. Amen. Paralysis and death are no match for him. For his life and his power... As long as God is on your side, and he is, and he happens to be on your side forever, then there is always hope for the miraculous. There is always hope for the breakthrough. There is always hope for the victory. There is always hope to come out on top. There's always hope to win. There's always hope to live. There's always hope to dream again. Any moment your situation can change. But remember the potential for miracles is predicated upon one's willingness to believe. Yeah. Amen. Any believers here tonight? Yeah. 
Huh? Have faith in God. He is able. He is good. He loves you. His will is life. His will is health. His will is freedom. His will is prosperity. His will is victory. All right? So if you're, if you're lacking that in any area of your life, then you're not experiencing the full brunt of the will of God. Are you hearing me? His will, Jesus came and paid too great a price for you to have a mundane, less than extraordinary life. Hallelujah. And not only does he want to do miracles for you, but he's also given you the ability as his agents in the earth, as his children in the earth, as those that are like him to go about and do miracles yourselves. Amen. To lay hands on people and see them. To see, to lay hands on those that are paralyzed and watch them come to life. Watch their body come up. To lay hands on the dead and see them rise. Right? Is he alive? Is God alive? Is his power real? Is he in you? Then anything's possible. Right? It's predicated upon our, will, our willingness to believe, though, ladies and gentlemen. We have to believe this. Right? There's something, you got to grab a hold of something on the inside of you called the Spirit of God and say, I am not letting go of this truth. I don't care what kind of a uh, thing you're, you're experiencing right now. I mean, I care, but I, I'm, I'm talking about compared to my, 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 my need to see you, my need to help you, I should say, to believe God. Yeah. All right, I want to finish it with this last thought. To Go over to Mark chapter 9. Uh, let's look along. I don't even know. Um, 14 maybe. <laughs> That's perfect. I had no idea that that was, that was the perfect place. Because they had just come from, Jesus had just been transfigured before Peter, James, and John. All right. So when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Verse 15. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who, was a, who has a mute spirit. You know, that wouldn't be too bad if we had a mute spirit once in a while. Um, not with you, honey, at all. Other marriages. Verse 18, and wherever it seizes, and whenever it, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Think about that. Well, think about, the, think about what they're seeing here, right? They're seeing a kid who seizes up, who foams out the mouth. And, I mean, this, this isn't just a sniffle, right? They're going, ooh, okay, no, thank you. Uh, Matthew, you go. How about it, man? You haven't cast anything out in like two months. Go do it. Right? I mean, they're looking at this like, yeah. Right? So they, 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 he said, I spoke to you about that they should cast it out. And should they cast it out? Yes, they should have. But they could not. Now look what Jesus says. And he answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about his own guys. You faithless and perverse generation, right? Okay, if, if there's any time that Jesus, I would think that he's going to cover for his guys, 
right? It would be now. He completely exposes them in front of everybody, right? So there's something more important to Jesus than their reputation here, isn't there? Than their embarrassment. There's something more important to him. We need to capture this so that we'll thicken up our skin a little bit and not be so offended all the time. All right? Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, verse 20. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, that is when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming out the mouth, the very thing that they were very afraid of. And so, I mean, can you imagine? Here it is. This is quite a scene here, right? Now, I have to admit, the Pentecostal boy in me that I would immediately you know, want to jump on top of that kid, in the name of Jesus, come out of him! Right? I mean, we're just urgent. Get on it right now. Look at Jesus. I love him. Verse 21. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He's not in a hurry at all. How long has this been happening to him? Right? Jesus, can we talk about his medical history after you get him delivered? Can't you sense the urge? This guy is seizing out. He's foaming out the mouth. He's rigid. He's going nuts. And you're just, you want to talk about his medical history, right? How long has this been happening? All right? And he said, from childhood. Now, look at verse 22. So the father, you can feel his desperation, right? And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I'm feeling for this dad right now. I have kids. If my kids were doing something like that, I would want something to, I'd want that situation to change immediately. Yeah. Are you hearing me? Help him now. Do something now. Right? When your hands are tied and you're helpless to do anything, come on, let's put ourselves in the dad's yeah. Yeah. shoes for just a moment and let's feel what he's feeling here. All right? There's a very good chance this man is crying. If you can do have compassion on us, help us, please. Can't you feel our desperation? Now look what Jesus does again, even after he senses this man's desperation. Now look what happens here in verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Gosh, that seems a little harsh to me. Huh? Doesn't that seem a little bit harsh? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, Jesus, you need to take that guy and come here, man. It's going to be all right. Right? No, he says, no, if you can believe. What's Jesus after? He's after the most important thing here. And it's more important, it's more important than somebody's desperation. It's more important than a need. It's more, impo- more important than the urgency of the moment. Catch this, ladies and gentlemen. Catch this. It's about faith. It's about faith. It's about believing God. What he rebuked his disciples for, you faithless generation. And faithless is perverse. Faithless and perverse generation. Faithlessness is perversion. Are you hearing me? For a believer, hello, I'm a believer, but I don't believe. Well, that's perverse, isn't it? Listen, so faithless, he calls his disciples out on faith, and then he calls his daddy out on faith too. No, if you can believe, my, my ability... My power to do something is not in question here, sir. It's your faith is what's in question. Can you believe that this can happen? Can you believe that your boy can be delivered right now? Can you believe that everything's about to be made right right now? Can you believe it? Because that's what's important. That's what my terms are. And you got to meet me at my terms. 
I know it's hurt. I know it hurts. And I know you've been suffering. And I know it's been tough. I know that you've been crying. I know that you've been dealing with this for a long time. But I've got to help shake you out of that stuff and help you realize the more important thing is to believe because faith is the victory. And if you'll get faith in your life, then you'll come out of every situation on top. Or you can just continue to have trouble after trouble after failure after failure after wondering after wondering after question after question. Or you can rise up in faith. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now look what the dad says. Verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. 26. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. 27. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Isn't this powerful? All right? So powerful. But anything is possible, what Jesus taught us tonight. I want you to go away with this thought tonight. There's lots of things to think about and we've heard on, but I want you to go away with this thought. If I believe, then I stay in the realm of possibility. If I believe, that keeps me in a place of anything is possible. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. I want to live in the, the moment of anything is possible all the time. Yeah. Hmm? Amen. Not only for myself, but for those out there who so desperately need a touch from God, who so desperately need a miracle, so des- desperately need to hear the gospel of Christ. Anything's possible. Yeah. All right? Any believers tonight? All right, let's stand together. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, that you have made old things pass away and you have made all things become new. You took us who were dead in our trespasses and you made us alive together with Christ and you seated us in heavenly places with him. That is, you showed us that we are like you here in the earth. As a matter of fact, John said it, as he is, so are we in this world. Father God, that we would continually acknowledge that Get our minds wrapped around that. Think about that. Talk about that. Believe it, God, so that we can experience the kind of power that Jesus Christ has. Not only for our our own lives and our families, our loved ones, but, Lord, for those that we come in contact with, those that we work with, God, those that we see on a daily basis in our regular routine, God, that we would be that light, God, that we... Would under, we would stay in that mentality, that, that awareness that anything's possible. God is still doing miracles, and I want him to do miracles at my hands. I want to experience miracles in my realm. I'm tired of the natural course of life. I need supernatural intervention in the natural course of life. The natural course of events. I, I need supernatural intervention. I need God encounters. God, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord. For those here tonight, God, who are facing permanent damage, God, what seems to be permanent damage through paralysis of any kind or death of any kind, 
I speak life to them in Jesus' name. I speak hope now back into them. I declare the joy of the Lord that will be their strength that will cause them to rise up and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, Lord, to lift up their eyes again and believe that truly God is with them. And if God is for them, then who can be against them, God? I thank you, Lord, for lifting people out of the, out of the debt, God, that they might be in tonight, that, that crushing burden of debt, God. I thank you for working miracles for them in Jesus' name, working miracles in, in bodies tonight that need health, God, that need a change in their, in their health, God, and a change in their body. I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the change in marriages tonight, Lord, a miracle, Lord, in Jesus' name, that things would begin to turn around, that there, where there's been hurt, there would be restoration, where there's been damage, God, things would come back to life. Love would abound in that home in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father God, whatever the needs are, you are more than able. You are willing and able, God, to perform your word. And we thank you that your word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. In Jesus' name, we bless you. And I thank you that you bless your people now as they go from this place tonight, that they are the blessed of God. They are strong in the Lord they, and in the power of his might. I thank you, God, that all of their children shall be taught of the Lord. You give your angels charge over these people to keep them in all their ways. The blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the everlasting covenant, cleanses them and covers their lives. I think that no evil shall befall them. No plague shall come near their dwelling. No weapon formed against them will prosper. Every tongue that rises against them in judgment, they shall condemn. They are the redeemed of the Lord. They are a chosen generation. They are a royal priesthood. They are a unique and peculiar people. Hallelujah. And I thank you, Lord, that they carry with them this message, this word of reconciliation. God, I help us to see that, that it's God pleading through us to tell others, be reconciled to God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. Believe on him and you receive everlasting life. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Grace and peace now be multiplied from God our Father. In the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Love you very much. God bless you. See you Sunday. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., or 1 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Please visit onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at onecausechurch. If you'd like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.